Hey, Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor JP here. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining with us on our podcast today. I pray today that this message stirs your faith, that it builds you up, that it draws you closer to the Father's heart, and ultimately that you just feel the embrace of heaven. We would love to stay connected with you and you to stay connected with us. So please feel free to check us out on our website, oasischurchchicago.com, or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Also, you can be sure to join with us on our live stream on our YouTube page every Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Now here's today's message. Well, hey, if you guys don't know, I hope you do because there is a slide that says it and we've been talking about it and posting about it. We are currently in a series called In This Place. And the series is ultimately based on evangelism. And the heart of this series is that we would see those who don't know Jesus or that those who are wayward and prodigal either come back to the house or come to him for the first time. And that's at the heart of what we are talking about. We wanna be a church that comes together here in this place, strengthened, sharpened, edified, encouraged, and we take that and we go into our spheres of influence and we participate with the Spirit of God in bringing people into this family. It's not to grow the numbers. It's not for any other reason except that we wanna see the kingdom of heaven grow. We wanna see more people join with us that when we enter into heaven, that there will be so many more people than we could have ever imagined. The seeds that we plant that we don't even know what are happening. Like, Denise, that person could have never reached out to you and told you what happened, but a life was saved because a seed was planted because of somebody's obedience. And that's what we're going after in this series. And it's in our mission statement. We wanna be a people who are first connected to Jesus and out of that connection, connect others to him. And so just to recap this series so far, uh, week one, Pastor Josh kicked us off uh, and shared the simplicity of evangelism, that we evangelize everything, restaurants, TV shows, sports teams, you name it, we evangelize it. Why is it so difficult for us to evangelize Jesus? If we're more passionate about him than everything else, we should be telling everybody about him. Right, And he, he reminded us of the importance of doing it together in community, that alone by ourselves, we're gonna struggle. But as a community, as, as a church, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so, so that was, the, that was the, the recap from week one from Pastor Josh. I think I was pretty close. I hope that, I hope that was in line. Um, and, and second week, Pastor Nick, uh, that was last weekend, Saturday night, he reminded us that our treasures and our values need to be aligned with the treasures and the values of the kingdom, and when we align ourselves with the kingdom of heaven, we are going to bear the fruit of heaven, and the fruit of heaven within us produces an aroma that is contagious, that the world sees it, they want it, they desire it, and it's the most, yeah, I would argue it's one of the most impactful ways of evangelism, that you can say all you want about Jesus, but if our lives are not reflecting who he is, and if we don't have the aroma of Christ, no one's gonna listen. Now, the gospel's still being preached, and that's good, but we need to carry the aroma of Christ. And he also talked about the Lord marking us with his glory, that throughout history, the people of God have been marked and distinguished by the glory of God upon them. And that is what we want, so that people can see that. People smell it, people hear it, people want it. And this week, our gracious senior leadership team has slotted me to try to convince you guys to starve yourselves for the next week. So, 
So that, yeah, I don't know what could possibly go wrong here. Yes, 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 yes. No, but in, in full honesty, I have the privilege of talking to us this morning about the practices of fasting and prayer. And you guys know the, the reason we're doing this is not just because we want to talk about it, but we're actually entering tomorrow into an entire week of prayer and fasting for the lost. Now, I think I might have lost some of you guys the moment I said fasting and starve yourself. And I, I ask you guys just to lean in, right? And, and I get it, right? It's difficult partly because we depend on food on a daily basis, like our bodies need it. And not only that, the Lord is so gracious that he allowed food to taste good. And like, we love it, right? There, there is a, and, and, and the Lord is all about it. He, he actually calls us to sit around the table with people and partake in meals. Even the Last Supper was around a meal, right? So like, the Lord desires this, but because we depend on it so much, it's difficult to do. And it's not the most enjoyable thing. But I think more than that, the reason why so many of us don't enjoy fasting is because we look at it as a removal of something as opposed to a gaining of something, right? But fasting is not starving. Fasting is feasting. It's feasting upon God. And I think if we can get to that place where we recognize that fasting is not starving ourselves, but we're actually feasting upon the Lord, right? How many of you guys love a good three-star Michelin-rated restaurant? I've never had one, but I know that they're surely good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if there's Michelin on there, you know, I, like, it's worth the cost of getting there. It's gonna cost you a lot, but once you're there, you're so glad that you're there, and you're not even thinking about the cost anymore because you're partaking in something that is so good and so delicious, and that, that cost, you know what? It's okay. It's so worth it. And the same thing comes in fasting. It's gonna cost us something. But what we get in return is so much greater than the cost. And I know that's probably not a good analogy to bring up a restaurant as we're getting ready to, to fast, but I hope you guys caught the heart of what I'm trying to say. Um, Dallas Willard defines fasting like this, and I will have it up on the screen. In fasting, we abstain from our ordinary food to some significant degree and for some significant length of time. Like the other disciplines, it's not done to impress God or to merit favor, nor because there is anything wrong with food. Rather, it is done that we may consciously experience the direct sustenance of God to our body and our whole person. We are using the keys of the kingdom to access the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom to access the kingdom. So in fasting, we abstain from food for a period of time in order that we may press deeper into the thing. We, we abstain from the thing that we depend on most to, to really depend on the person we depend on most. To say, Lord, I'm giving this up because I, I know at a soul level, my heart's desire is you and you alone. And so I'm gonna give this up so that I can come and be with you. And maybe you haven't quite caught the appeal of fasting yet. And you're still like, Reuben, I, I'm not on board. Uh, I'm gonna have to repent after I fast because I know I get hangry. And so this fast is not gonna be good. Well, I wanna, I wanna just for a quick moment, and, and my, my message today is not what is fasting, but I do wanna give us a recap of what fasting is. And so why do people fast? Uh, the scriptures are, are full of men and women of God 
that fasted. Uh, and there are individual fasts, there are corporate fasts, there are national fasts. And it was and still is a very common practice for the Jews today and for the people of God. Fast forward how many ever thousands of years. And the fast would typically, and, and let me just say this, the, even to, for the Jews in that time, the Wednesday and the Friday of every single week would be dedicated. It was, it was woven into the rhythms of their lives, into their, into their walks with God. And so it was a common practice, and it still is. And they would typically revolve around four main purposes, repentance, mourning, supplication, and gratitude. Repentance, Lord, we missed the mark, Father. We are coming back to you. We're giving up of ourselves that we may come and return back to your presence. Mourning, a loss of a loved one, something comes up. You guys know it's okay to lament in the presence of the Lord? We don't always need to come to him and ask him for a solution or an answer. Sometimes we just come to him because we're broken. And he honors the brokenhearted. Supplication, what we're about to do for this next week. We're about to come and intercede and pray for the lost in our city, for those who need a Jesus. We're saying, Lord, we're coming to you in gratitude. What would it look like if we just came to the Lord in thanksgiving? Said, Lord, I'm gonna give up some food just to say thank you, just to be with you. The Lord, I know, honors that. Now, in terms of lengths of fast, and we'll go quick here. In terms of length of fast, the Bible doesn't prescribe any specific length of time for fast, but there are examples throughout the scriptures of different fasts that people partook in that were different lengths of time. So in Judges, there's a sunrise to sunset fast, and the people of God throughout history would, would fast from sunset to sunset. So it's a day-long fast. And there was a three-day fast. We read about this both in Esther and in Acts when Saul was converted, but for three days he went without food or water. There's a seven-day fast that Samuel partook in for wisdom and seeking comfort from grief and guidance. And there's a couple fasts in Daniel that I want to make note of. And Pastor JP mentioned this. There's a couple Daniel fasts. And Daniel abstained from different pleasant foods for some time. And uh, the reason I want to make a quick note of this is because there are some people here that may not be able to fast from all food for, you know, maybe you're pregnant or a nursing mother, uh, or maybe there's a medical condition or you've wrestled with an eating disorder in the past or presently. And so we want you guys still to be able to join us in this fast without having some sort of issue if you're pregnant or, or whatever, right? Um, and so there's, you know, he fasted with vegetables and water, um, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and, and water. And there was a 40-day fast where we see only three people partake, and these were Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Probably don't recommend a 40-day fast if you're just getting started. Um, maybe go see your doctor first and make sure that all is good. Uh, but yeah, there, there are examples of that throughout the scripture. So that's fasting, high level, 30,000 feet. Not what I'm talking about today, but it's gonna lead us into where we're going, we abstain from ordinary food to some significant degree for some significant length of time. They can range in time and for different reasons, those primary reasons being repentance, mourning, supplication, and gratitude. Make sense? We all good? Great. Uh, the reason I wanted to get the what out of the way early is because my heart today is to talk about the why and the posture of our hearts as we fast and what it looks like to be a people that not only ask the Lord to come and intervene, but to actually go and do the thing that he's calling us to do when he answers the prayer, right? Um, and so that is where we are going today. So go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them and turn to Isaiah 58. 
Isaiah 58. And when you're there, just keep your finger there. We'll get there in a moment. You guys good this morning? Great. So at this time in Isaiah's ministry, the people of Israel have been brought out of exile, and they had been calling and praying for the Lord to restore their nation, to restore the temple, to bring about um, change and restoration in, in Jerusalem. And they carried a type of righteousness that uh, Israel had that was very much so external. Um, one scholar said it this way, even though Israel had been attentive to the ritual ordinances of the law, they completely neglected the ethical demands of it. And so this is where our passage picks up this morning. And Isaiah lays out this passage in, in three primary uh, sections. It's the problem, the solution, and the result. And so we're going to start with the problem. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to come near and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying and sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? If the Lord said that to me, I'd be a mess. <laughs> that's, that's a tough rebuke. If you're anything like me, you've had many moments in your life where you knew and you sensed the Lord was calling you to do something. It was a nudge from the Spirit to, to go speak to somebody to go help someone, to make a phone call, to pray over somebody, and you chose to ignore it. You guys would never do that because you guys are holy and perfect and blameless, but the sad reality is that this is probably the situation for a lot of us, that the Lord calls us to a lot of things, and the more we choose to ignore it, the easier it becomes to ignore it. We become numb and callous. So maybe you're at work and Holy Spirit says you should go out to lunch with your coworker and, and, and you, you just, you don't go. You're like, hey, I, I don't want to. You know they're not saved. You know that you wanna hear their story and you should probably tell them about the Lord. But then you come here and you worship and you even pray for the lost even though you know that the Lord has placed lost people right in front of you. Or maybe you have something against a brother or a sister and you know you need to reconcile. And then you come to Wednesday night prayer and you begin to ask the Lord, stop the violence in our city. When you know Jesus says that if you're angry against your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. One more just to drive home the point. Lord, bring unity in our church and our city. But yet we go and gossip and slander in the name of venting and sharing our hearts. You see the irony. 
And this was the heart of what Isaiah was getting at to Israel. They were crying out to God, we seek you day after day, Lord. We fast and pray and ask you for just decisions. We humble ourselves before you and we want to know your ways. And the Lord's response, on the day of your fast, you do as you please and exploit your workers. In other words, you're only worried about yourself. You're not looking out for the interests of others. How can I profit? How can I gain? Your fasting ends in fighting. Check your hearts. You lay your head low, thinking that a false humility is going to move my heart, God says. Is this what you call a fast? He literally says, you cannot keep fasting like this and expect your voice to be heard. When God says that, we better listen. You cannot continue fasting like this and expect your voice to be heard. See, Israel thought that if, if they continued participating in spiritual activity, that it would somehow balance the scale of the wrong that they did or the good that they chose not to do. And see, what Isaiah is getting at is beyond just the fast. It's the heart of the believer. The heart of us as believers, consumed with God and having his heart for others. Church, God is not concerned with our spiritual activity if it doesn't lead to the thing that it's supposed to do. Like with any other spiritual discipline, they are a means to an end. We don't fast God to be, we don't fast to be able to tell God, look at me, Lord, I'm doing all this good. You know what his response would probably be? Did you know me? Did you love me? Did you point others to me? The purpose in participating in these things is to fall more in love with Jesus, to know his heart, to hear his voice, to bring others before him and point him, point them to him. And church, hear me, I get it. When we do things over and over again, they can begin to feel mundane and ordinary. And we can begin just to do it for the sake of doing it, right? The spiritual activity, the religious activity, coming to church, fasting, praying, reading the Bible, they can become mundane, but we have to check our hearts like the psalmist prayed, Lord, search my heart and search my ways and let me know if there's any offensive way within me. I don't think any of us wanna get to the place where we meet Jesus and he says, you fasted and I didn't hear you. You prayed and I wasn't listening. So, we have a problem, clearly, and I promise there is, there is some good news coming. So don't be like, oh man, we're missing it. Um, praise God for, for his word and for his prophets and that he spoke to us so clearly through this word. Isaiah is about to redefine fasting for Israel. Clearly the way they've been doing it and the way they've been living is not honoring God's heart and it's not the way that he wants it to be done. So, Listen to God's heart here for his people and for humanity. Verses six and seven, if you're following along. Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide shelter to the poor wanderer when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. 
Church, this is the heart of God, to loosen the chains of injustice. He wants to see justice come forth. Jesus is the ultimate establisher of justice here, that when we share him and we have his heart, we will loosen the chains of injustice. He will do it through us. Don't grow weary of speaking about Jesus. Don't grow weary of meeting the needs of people. Don't grow weary because when he is shared, when people catch his heart, justice comes the way that he wants to establish it. Not the way that we want to do it. Not the way we think it. No, the way that he wants to do it. To untie the cords of the yoke and to break every yoke. Jesus calls us to take on his burden and his yoke. He wants to see people delivered into life with Jesus to set the oppressed free, that those oppressed by any physical or spiritual need will be set free by him, to feed the hungry, to provide the homeless with shelter, to clothe the naked, to be available in presence to your family. I didn't know what that meant. Not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Church, be present to your family, the people that need you the most. If you're a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, whatever you be present to your family, don't turn your family away for the name of ministry or for the sake of doing good. Like, be present. This is the heart of God. The point is this. The first and greatest command to love God is directly connected to the second and greatest command to love one another. See, true fasting and a true life of living from God's heart and for God's heart is connected to action. And a life that is truly connected to him is going to connect others to him. See, it's impossible to love God and to not love people. I'm not questioning anybody's salvation here or motives of your heart, but true love, true connection to the Father is going to lead and guide us into loving the people around us, even our enemies. If you love God, you will love people. And church, we should be at the forefront of every mission to meet our city's needs, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to feed the hungry, and to provide the homeless with shelter. People should be coming to faith all around us because of the things that we're doing and the intercession that we're bringing before the Lord. Throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus preaching constantly and people coming to faith. Then you see other people coming to faith because they witnessed a miraculous work that he had done to a person or to a people. So preach the word and do the work. If we're gonna ask God to do something, we surely better be ready to do the things he says he's gonna do when he answers prayers. Lord, heal our city. Go. It's a lot of work. Lord, fix the issue of homelessness. Invite him in. Ah, it's my house. I'm gonna feel safe. Let the lost go free. God, I'm afraid of being rejected if I share your word, if I tell people about you. But we'll, like Pastor Josh preached, we'll evangelize anything else. Who cares? Be rejected. Let it spur you on. Let that rejection motivate you. I'm a Seahawks fan. Half the people in this room don't like me. That spurs me on. I come wearing my gear to people's houses now. What if that was the, what if that was the, the posture? Who cares? 
Who cares if we get rejected? God is looking for people to answer the call. Better yet, God's people are expected to answer the call, to stand in the gap for and to bring the lost and the needy home. See, the Lord would rather us be aligned with his heart than do all the church things, but let the lost go right by us. If we're gonna love God and do the church thing, which is important, so much so that we titled the series in this place, right? But if we're gonna love him and do the church thing and do all the stuff, we better be willing to follow it with action. Following Jesus will cost us something. Are we willing to count the cost for the sake of, of Jesus and for the sake of others. Now, I wanna take a quick detour for just a moment and you guys don't have to turn there uh, and then we'll, we'll land the plane back in Isaiah here in just a moment. But um, I'm gonna read out of Luke 10, 25 through 37. Um, again, you don't have to turn there, but I, I wanna read this because it's a passage that many of us can resonate with. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? Robbers, not Roberts. If your name is Robert, so sorry. <laughs> Robbers. <laughs> the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This story is both one of beauty and mercy and on the other side, equally devastating and sad. There's beauty and mercy involved because if you know the story, the, the, the Samaritans and the Jews weren't friendly, to say the least. Um, and, and it was actually common for Samaritans to be the ones who were robbing and beating people on this 18-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's beautiful because it's redemption. The man who is expected to be the robber and the, and, and the, and the one assaulting this person is actually the one who stops and has mercy. And the reason it's devastating is because both the priest and the Levite, likely coming back from worshiping in Jerusalem, walk right past the man. The ones who were most expected to stop and take care of him 
are the ones who chose to likely step over him to get to where they're going. This road, it wasn't a wide road like we know today. It was a trail on the side of a hill. There's a man standing on the side. You have to intentionally look at him and go. I don't think any of us wanna be those people who go and do all the spiritual things but neglect the work of the Lord right in front of us. It's possible to be going to or coming back from worship and completely miss the work of Jesus in the name of serving the Lord. Jesus asked the experts in the law, who do you think was a neighbor? The one who came to the temple and worshiped and kept the law and fasted and prayed or the one who showed mercy to the man on the road? The one who had mercy, of course. He responds, go and do likewise. Church, the Lord is calling us, go and do likewise. Seek the lost. Pray for those who don't know the Lord. Put your hands to the plow and partner with Jesus in doing the things he's calling us to. Our spiritual activity needs to be marked with obedience and compassion to the people the Lord is calling us to. James goes on to say later that your works are gonna flow out of your faith. That when you truly believe in something, that if you see somebody who is naked and needs clothing, it's one thing to go and pray for them but you're not actually meeting their needs. And he says, what good is that? Faith without works is dead. That our faith produces something within us, hence why we're actually choosing to fast and to pray for the lost. We're not choosing just to say, Lord, solve the issue. No, we're actually gonna take time and we're going to surrender and sacrifice of ourselves so that we can see the Lord move in our midst and in our city. So, Why are we talking about this? Why? As you guys know, we're entering into a week of fasting and prayer. If you didn't know, we've touched it a lot. We're entering into a week of fasting and praying, and that's starting tomorrow. And the goal of this week is to aim and to turn our hearts to Jesus and to set our gaze upon him. And as we look to him to receive the compassion for the lost and to begin to intercede, for them. Again, our mission is to first and foremost be connected to him and connect others to him. And I believe there's a few things that the Lord wants to do here this morning. And the first is he's calling us to repentance. And please don't turn your ear off. Repentance is simply turning back to him. It's the greatest gift that he's given us. We know we have the ability to repent because of Jesus. And our repentance is done in and through him, not aside from him. So we invite him into that. Maybe you've been doing the church thing, but you haven't had eyes for others. You've been fasting and praying and coming to church, but your compassion is wearing thin. Even as we're talking about the lost, it doesn't really strike a chord with you. Maybe you're on the other side. You're doing all the good things. You're... You're serving people. You're you're going to well to well. You're doing all this stuff, but it's not connected to love for God. And people actually aren't being pointed to Jesus because you're doing it for the sake of doing the work. On either side, the Lord is calling us 
back to himself. Uh, I believe there's a passage for our house this morning that Pastor JP mentioned um, a couple Wednesdays ago. It's in 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will what? Heal their land. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So please don't be embarrassed by it. I just wanna take a moment. If that's you and you're on either side of that, you're like, man, I've been loving the Lord, but like, I don't feel like it's, it's affected me to love others. Or maybe I've been loving others, but I don't feel like my love for the Lord is there. Do me a favor, just slip your hand up. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, we're gonna do something. Church, stand uh, wherever you're at, everybody, please. We're gonna pray right now. And there's a few more things that I wanna address in just a second and then, we'll, and then we'll close. But I wanna pray both individually that our hearts will be right before the Lord and then corporately as a community where we've missed it. And so let's just go ahead and pray. Jesus, we uh, are sorry where we've missed the mark. We repent where we've chosen to um, do the things for the sake of doing it that hasn't actually impacted our hearts to love people well. Lord, would you show us where, uh, show us where we've missed it. Show, show me where I've missed it, God. Each one of us, where you are calling us to grow deeper in you and to have a love for you that is truly connected to loving others, God. Holy Spirit, as a church, we come to you and we say, Lord, we've missed it at times. And we repent, we turn to you. We give ourselves back to you right now. Whatever you're calling us into, Lord, we wanna be there. We don't wanna hear from you where you say, you cannot keep doing it this way. No, we wanna hear from you. Go and do likewise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. Go ahead and stay standing for just a few moments. The second thing that I believe the Lord wants to do is he wants to impart his heart to us in a greater measure that he wants to give us his heart for himself, a zeal for himself, a zeal for his house and for his people and for the world. We cannot separate loving God and loving people. The fruit of loving God wholeheartedly will be that we will love our neighbors. We will love our neighbors. And if you feel like you haven't been loving others well, let me first say you're not alone, okay? We all miss it. But I believe the Lord wants to impart in us this morning hearts of love and compassion toward others. And do not, please, church, hear me. Do not underestimate the power of what the Lord can do in a moment and in an encounter with him. He is searching our hearts, seeking to see who will open up the door for him that he may come and dine with us. The Lord can come in a moment and give you a zeal for him and a zeal for his kingdom greater than you could ever mustered up on your own. And he wants to do it. The Bible's so clear 
that if we seek and continue seeking and we knock and we continue knocking, that we will find. He will come and he wants to impart this morning to each one of us. The last thing is this, the Lord is calling us to action. We're gonna be fasting and praying. And as you're doing that, as you're spending time with him, and when you would be eating your meals, he's gonna put people on your heart. He's gonna put communities on your heart. He's gonna put maybe an organization or a specific family member who doesn't know him. Pray into it. Seek him for that person or those people. Get here in the evenings and pray because there's power in community when we link arms together and we say, Lord, we want you to come and move and we're willing to do the thing that you're calling us to do when you answer our prayers. He's calling us to action. And we wanna be a people who respond to him, who respond when he calls. And most of all, church, during this fast, press into Jesus. I pray for each one of us that as we're, as we're doing the thing, that we don't miss the one we're doing it for. Keep your eyes on him. Behold him. Adore him. Give yourself to him. Yield to him. It's all for him. Would you close your eyes and open your hands as if you were receiving a gift, a large gift. You needed two hands to hold. I'm gonna read this last promise from Isaiah 58. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord 